this out with theory. Hello, thanks for listening. This is a special one-off Verge podcast about Interstellar. Uh, now, just for a warning, this whole thing is going to be about the plot of the movie, basically. So spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. If you have not seen the movie and you do not want it to be ruined, please turn this off now. Okay, welcome. Let's get started. Uh, I'm Ross Miller, senior editor for The Verge. I'm Ariel Zimros, science reporter. I'm Josh Jezza, a reports editor. Great, let's get into it. Uh, so what did you guys think? Um, I liked it overall. I had mixed feelings about it, as I do with most Nolan movies. Um, I thought there were some really spectacular scenes, and I liked uh, the world he created. Um, I thought he also threw out more ideas that weren't necessarily followed through on. Um, but overall, I, I liked it. I thought the emotional through line uh, between McConaughey and his daughter sustained the movie, uh, thankfully, because I guess saving humanity would be the B-plot, and I had some issues with that. It didn't quite sustain the last half or third of the movie for reasons that I'm sure we'll get into. Yeah, I think the big point of contention for us, especially, has been like the last third of the movie, mm-hmm. basically the last hour and a half. But uh, what did you think of it, Ariel? Um, I am not a huge fan of the movie. Um, there are issues, I think, with... I mean, I know it's Nolan and this is, this is what he does, but it's very... Um, I thought the movie needed an editor to cut it down. Um, I thought there is some cheese factor in there that is just intolerable. Um, and I also felt like, I mean, there are some science issues there, of course, I guess for me that, but really like I can handle that. Um, really for me, the biggest issue is just the cheese factor and just like the lack of depth in the characters. That said, it's a beautiful movie. Yeah. So that gets into like the two things that piss me off about the movie more than anything else. Uh, number one. I feel so bad for Anne Hathaway. Oh, I, yeah. I know, I know, oh, she's gonna get so a lot bad. of shit for like being a bad actress in this. She was it's not, not a bad fault. actress. No, those it's not lines. Our fault. Uh, I am a scientist, and I follow my heart and go with love because there are some things science can't explain, and it must be love. This is a woman who clearly devoted her life to never dating. I guess I don't know. Like I, yeah. I can't figure out that backstory. But that's... and her relationship with her father is just like there's nothing there. It's not explored at no. all. It's not believable. There's just like. The, the amount right. of sadness that she displays after his death is just like, uh-huh. I kind of forgot Coop and, Coop they were Murph related. The father-daughter relationship and Anne Hathaway is just... Well, and that's, that's a, a, a long-standing Nolan critique, a Christopher Nolan critique. is like he's not good about writing women. Christopher and his brother Jonathan do most of the movies together. Uh, we'll get into that because it actually does come with a lot of plot things that anger me too. And I think we should talk about that. Generally, though, I... I was a sucker for a lot of the cheesiness. I thought the father-daughter relationship, uh, I mean, it was saccharine in a lot of places, but it worked for me. I thought the relativity uh, was a really interesting wrinkle to that. I, I, did, I did, too. I actually liked that part. But to me, more than any other Christopher Nolan film, this has been a movie that's predicated, or the entire conceit is the plot. Mm-hmm. If the plot has to make sense for like the whole movie to kind of work out. You know, Inception, you can come like they define the game, so to speak, and you can go along for the ride. And it really doesn't matter what the ending is. Dark Knight's a superhero movie. So if things don't work out, whatever, you're still like, enjoying that. Interstellar is gorgeous. It is an absolute gorgeous film worth seeing, maybe even 70 millimeter IMAX if you can. But that being said, it's just the whole movie is based on the idea that they get this Morse code bleep in from gravity from the future that Matthew McConaughey sends himself. 
So gets to the idea of like the bootstraps, the ontological paradox, which is like he's there because he made himself happen, made himself to come there. Like that's right. the, one of the big time travel paradoxes that always. Right. Like, I guess we should. Yeah. We should, what happened first? Let's. Yeah. And, sorry. And, let's. And, uh, and, and map. I'm starting to seethe. Please, Josh, yeah. calm us down. Um, get us caught up. I like um, wish I had a whiteboard or something. <laughs> right but, behind um, you actually is a whiteboard. You, actually, um, does not help an audio podcast, but you can no. have one. You can write on this mirror. You can write on the table. I won't tell. So, so the whole thing hinges on this bootstrapping paradox, where McConaughey right. uh, creates the circumstances that allow him to do the things he does, and then we should just try to w- talk through that because I think it actually makes. I mean, it doesn't make scientific sense but i think it makes logical sense um, it, 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 it does it does okay so let's 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 get into that so at almost the exact two-thirds mark of the two-hour mark is when they go near the black hole mm-hmm. and at this point Anne hathaway goes to the other planet for plan b right we'll talk about that i know you're mad about i that, have Ariel. i have so i just want to say one quick thing <laughs> about the black hole no no but really though it's a three-planet system yes it centers around a black hole. Where is the light and heat coming from? There is no sun. That's a good question. It's a very good question. <laughs> there is no sun in this system. Well, How a... do we see anything? So it's like, you know, what does it say? It's a gentle singularity. It's a little baby soft. Maybe <laughs> just, a little bit of light comes out. <laughs> this is just like one of my, like, there are very, you know, I can't really talk about the physics of it very much. I can't really, like, black holes, wormholes. I'm like, right. oh, okay, sh- sure fine i'll give you that but there are like a there are little things along the way that you're like okay why did you even do that you could have put a sun in that system that would not have been hard can can as a science editor i'm asking can a sun and a black hole exist in the same system though um i have no idea but (laughs) you just needed to add a star that's all you just just needed to add a star and it would have been fine and then all like if Beings from the future, or our future, uh, came back to like do this, and they're like, "Okay, you need to survive somewhere. Right. Let's make, make a, a wormhole solar system. Let's give you the one <laughs> with a black hole. It's a stopgap mm-hmm. planet." Yeah. Well, okay, but they needed they needed the black hole. Okay, so here's there's this a, gets there's, a plan there's, a. there's double yes there's double bootstrapping happening here. Or <laughs> McC- McConaughey is uh, he sends himself through the he gets stuck through the black hole into mm-hmm. the fifth dimensional. Uh, bedroom of his daughter or something. And um, I, right. and and I will mention is, is love. Right. Is, like, uh, I, I thought it was gravity. The, the, it's the, gravity, right, it's gravity. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is weird because gravity yeah. is not really a dimension, I guess. Um, it is now. But Anyway, and so... I will he, stop for one second. I'm so sorry. I want to stop and say that was a gorgeous way to interpret five dimensions from a three-dimensional perspective of McConaughey with a two-dimensional medium like film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, which mm-hmm. is very complex and Lily did a good job showing the Bedroom in all aspects. Gorgeous cool. film, even if it's fucking nonsensical. Sorry. <laughs> go so Please go ahead. He, he, he morse codes uh, himself, his earlier self, the coordinates to NASA mm-hmm. so that they send him through the wormhole to the black hole where after two hours of space adventure, he's sucked into again so that he can send back black hole data also through Morse code, which is another problem we'll get into. <laughs> I don't know what the black hole data is or how many trillions of years it would take to encode it into Morse code on a watch. Um, but right, the black not hole to mention data she is like read it coordinates but, or something. But like, was well, it? No, no. So there was the, it was the coordinates, and then there was some sort of mystery, mysterious black hole data 
that he transmits to Chastain right, that allows right. her to reconcile right. gravitational theory and quantum mechanics, which lets them build the magic space engine that gets humanity off the planet so that they can go into space and then create the technology to create a wormhole right. that th- then McConaughey flies through, which makes sense to me mostly but my problem with it is that it turns the entire finding a new planet part of the story like the whole premise of the movie into right. a total MacGuffin like right. they're, yes. they're basically a what glorified first complicated like, space probe like they're like there to get black hole data so they can build this super engine but they could have just had the, the ro- I guess they couldn't have the robots do it because yeah, robots if that was wouldn't issue, have existed right. in five dimensions yeah. they I just kind of wish it didn't have the, the like circular aspects that it has because I mean I can't help, like, when I was, you know, I, I understand that we can't really know what happened first and that mm-hmm. it's just, like, but if you're Matthew McConaughey and you're, you don't want to leave the planet, you're upset that you left and you want to Morse code stay, but you have the information that you already have because as a rational person, I'm like, well, <laughs> what happened first happened first. is isn't about rational. It's about <laughs> love and family. <laughs> I don't want to leave. So, like, my if you family. have the information that you have, then you know that if you Morse code anything into the bookshelf, this is what will prompt him to go and find the NASA lab in the first place. Right. And then this is what will send him away. You already know what's going to happen, so just don't Morse code. And then, like, obviously change the past. And yes, this is problematic. But well, not necessarily. I mean, like, it does create. I don't think he realized at first. Well, it was clear. He was sort of running around in that fifth dimensional room. It seemed like he was like. Realized that he was the ghost, and then realized. I actually, I don't know why he Morse coded right. so, today. You right. changed his mind. Like, why would you make do any that? Sense. I mean, one yeah. of the, so one of the resolutions of ontological paradoxes is the parallel dimension theorem. Like, if you go back, you're not actually going back in the same past. You're going back into a parallel dimension, so you can change it. So the idea, which actually goes into Murphy's law, at least the way they interpret it, mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's necessarily accurate, but their version of Murphy's law is whatever can happen will happen. So, I mean, this could have happened a million times in different parallel dimensions. This just happens to be the one that kind of worked that got him there. Right. But then we get into the issue of, okay, for all this to happen, the future generations need to know to build a wormhole to make this happen. Right. But the generation at the end of the movie thinks Matthew McConaughey had nothing to do with it. Like, they're like, oh, Murph got it on her own, which makes sense because it's a fucking number from a watch. Right, yeah, and the whatever they're on the planet or the school or right. whatever is is named after Murphy Cooper and not Cooper or Matthew McConaughey right. Cooper. Right. right. So Although, I don't know. I sort of trust them to get it down because they apparently built a space station full of nothing but, like, terminals playing Ken Burns documaries. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I guess there's just, like, a farmhouse full of people talking about him. Um, within, by the way, that all happened within Murph's lifetime. Right. Mm-hmm. So she's like 30 or 40 at least at this point because of the time difference when she gets the information. Again, probably no bigger than a number or a variable that no computer on Earth could just randomly put in just to see what happens. Whatever. I'm going to um, let that one go. I'm let that one go. But so like getting into the very, very ending. Yes. Uh, McConaughey goes back through the wormhole to meet up with Hathaway, right? Yep. Um, what, so so plan what, A the... and plan B works now. Right. Um, not to rescue her, by the way. Not to say, hey, civilization figured this shit out. You can leave Black Hole. Right. Why, Why now that they're off Earth, why doesn't everyone go through the Black Hole? Are McConaughey and Hathaway supposed to start like an alternate human I race guess. on this other this is, this is the planet? Adam and Eve thing? Maybe that then... Yeah, I didn't really get where that... Although, 
now she mentioned that if plan if that's the case, then Plan B actually is the successful one because Plan B knows in the future they have to build this wormhole, and make things happen exactly like this. But Plan B is so problematic. Let's get into the biology. <laughs> not, not, not to mention the fact that McConaughey and Hathaway, <laughs> who had no no chemistry or, or romance, right? Movie, I did not believe oh, that. Yeah, at all. He, just, he just shows up at this planet and is like, "Hey, I'm here to spend the rest of our lives on this ice planet." Right. I was <laughs> like, no, "Do you even like her?" No, it's like literally. We are the last two people on Earth. Do you want to fuck? Right. Like, that's the future. It was... Um, so my problems with Plan B have to do with... So so basically what they want is they have um, genetically diverse embryos mm-hmm. that they have incubated. And they figure that if they're so genetically diverse that, you know, if they all mate together after, um, then you will have, like you know, more genetic diversity and it won't lead to disease or whatever. And then you'll have like strong human beings down the line, like many, many, many years ahead from there. And you can have like a whole new human population. That's all fine. My problem is that they never discuss a mechanical womb. They never discuss like, how are these babies going to be born into the world? Because for sure, Anne Hathaway is not having a hundred babies. No, like that's not going to happen. So, and but like, she I is guess they don't have to discuss it. You can just imagine that they have the technology for a mechanical womb. But if they have that, presumably they would have used it on Earth because one of the big problems that they have right now is that their population is dwindling. Yes, right. it has to We're- do with the food sources and all the things, but babies are dying. And, you know, NASA is doing fine living underground. With we an should, amazing should, conference should, room that's soundproof uh, next to a rocket. We should talk about the, Earth, the situation on Earth because that was something I was... I, that I really liked in the movie, but I know a lot of people didn't. I think one of my complaints about the Nolans before is that they tend to over-explain, they just explain everything to death, and I thought they handled the near future really well with these sort of allusions to some sort of blight. And I mean, the movie would have touches, been like five but, hours if they had right, explained it. That's right. probably what they cut, actually. <laughs> I mean, when I come, when I come to I, think um, of it. But, but yeah, edition. it was also never, never totally clear what the problem was. It was some sort of... Uh, blight that was producing excess nitrogen or something in the atmosphere. Anyway, right, the oxygen um, levels were dwindling somehow. But yeah, yeah, I thought that was they handled very nicely with little details. And it was also um, something that was killing off wheat and okra, and that was eventually going to kill off the corn. Right. Um, so they're like staple crops are going to die off, um, or have already died off. And I mean, I guess that's possible. I guess that's something that could happen. I mean, you have we have seen diseases that are taking over. Like oranges has they have a bacteria that's going after them in Florida. Mm-hmm. There's fungus in bananas. Right, it's super um, common. That like makes it's sense. something. Like I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I have no yeah. idea how, what it would target because presumably it would target like a weird that it would be like pan crop, like any right, crop, any like, crop. Like I'm pretty that sure that okra and wheat something. are like not that close. Yeah, right. Um one is a root and another one is, you know, a grain. So, but are, and this is a weird thing, are trees still there? I mean, cotton seems to be there because they all have clothes that look like normal clothes. Right. And she used a paper cup to drink a Diet Coke at some point. I mean, unless they like turn corn into a like hemp like thing yeah. and then you could explain clothing that way. That's true. Um, maybe. And that's something I'm, I'm willing to let go. That's like a yeah. silly thing I don't care about as much. I will say it was weird that there are no cell phones, I guess, mm. where mm-hmm. NASA's like, we should NASA's never like we should call our best pilot up to go do one of these missions. That never happened, and no one ever called. Yeah. Everyone traveled. Well, they didn't know was... he was still alive. I think that's one thing oh, that they say at yeah. one point. You're okay. like, you didn't even know I was alive. Okay, that's fair. Um, so I think that's one issue. Um, right at the start of the movie, 
something really bothered me right away and, and then i was like on edge for the rest of the movie what was that um when they are pursuing the drone and they finally like gain control of it mm-hmm. like a drone that has been flying around for like 10 years or right. something it's solar power powered so that's how it's been flying around like randomly on its own oh yeah it's like google Lune like, or right, facebook plane exactly right yeah. so but when they gain control of it uh the daughter murphy is basically uh controlling it with a mouse pad mm-hmm. touchpad to be clear <laughs> right a, a touchpad and <laughs> she's not using any arrows she's like moving her finger on the touchpad yeah. And yet somehow she still manages to land it without like doing anything altitude wise. She's just controlling its orientation, but she lands it really smoothly. Like, how is it going up or down? Why couldn't they just have put like arrows in there or a joystick or literally anything other than what they did? She hit like a shift key and that's like lower altitude, like like a first person shooter or something. It was just, it just, I I couldn't handle it. Right away I was like, really? (laughs) Really guys? I, I didn't pick up. I loved that scene, though. I thought that was really yeah. uh, it was one of the more beautiful scenes in yeah, the movie. Yeah, it was really cool. And then that happened, and then I was upset. <laughs> You're like, where's the altitude yeah. control? Uh, I will, so there's a couple things in the intro I thought was interesting. Like, if you, and maybe this is another reason I didn't like it as much, but I don't know. Like, I knew a lot of what was going to happen going into it. Again, thank you, Josh. Just full disclosure. So <laughs> I could write down some of the, the lines where it's like, wow, this is like way heavy handed. Like, things like Murph kept going, Dad, I thought you were the ghost. Because mm-hmm. turns out he is the ghost, but we don't right. know that at the time. Uh, and of course, science is admitting what we don't know, which is like that science versus religion debate all over again in a really weird way. Yeah, it, they they have a weird way of approaching science. Um, there was another thing that I was like, "You're going to perpetuate that myth." Yep. Like really, and that was the um, her yelling Eureka when she finally solves the equation. Um, <laughs> And throwing her notes dramatically over. And, like, fine. People think that actually happened. This myth uh, stems from Archimedes. Um, And basically, as the story goes, he um, went into his bathtub, and then the volume, his volume, displaced water, like, equal parts. And then you can, like, use that to measure the volume that's being displaced. And that's what he came up with. But the story of him yelling Eureka when that finally happened and he realized it, was written 200 years after um, after his discovery ha- even occurred. Right. Um, so, like, he didn't yell Eureka. And I just, as a person who has, like, taken history of science courses or whatever, I just, I just like, really, guys? Did you really <laughs> have to have her yell Eureka in her, like, most triumphant moment? She couldn't say anything that had more depth to it than, than perpetuating a scientific myth. Uh, the way that I'm, I'm kind of looking at it right now is like Greek mythology. We look back and we, we love these Greek mythology tales. Some may be based on realities. Most of them are not at all. So think of this as maybe a Greek mythology told by the fifth dimensional beings. Mm. What, to me, all the fifth dimension means is the perception of the fourth dimension. We right. can see time. So whatever the fifth dimension is, that's us in this future time. And they're telling a story. So whatever. She says, Eureka. Let's just pretend someone yeah. else is telling And like story. somebody, I think it was io9 who said that it was like a space opera. Yes. And like when I look at it that way, I'm like, okay, fine. She yells, Eureka. Yeah, who cares? <laughs> I get it. And I think that that's an apt description of this because it's really over the top. It's really emotional. Um, and yeah, space opera works. Yeah, space opera works. Uh, I'm surprised that you actually, you're pretty comfortable with like the ontological paradox resolution, which was my biggest issue with this. 
Yeah, I, 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 I didn't didn't mind that. I mean, as long as it you can map it out. I mean, I don't expect the Nolans to solve that paradox, and I'm fine it, that it's being used as a plot device. I guess maybe that's the difference. I guess I just want to know who builds the who who knows to build the wormhole later. Which that part, like the almost intentional future humans, right? But the ones who think that Murph solved on our own, so the wormhole isn't needed. Like that's the part that I guess mm. I don't know. Maybe that's what. But Murph the, knows I, I, that it was. I guess her but dad, she's right? I, 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 she, I yeah. mean, it might be her. Maybe I, she builds the and wormhole. I, and I, I guess I didn't take like Maybe. the space station being named but after she's about to die. her to mean that. I mean, she did. She, no, but yeah, she, she has like her entire. She has like fifty or sixty years to build a wormhole. But also, just because she's the True. famous one doesn't mean that like no one knows. True. Well, I guess I guess no one at that time knows, but. I have no idea. But I, I could see there being room in their historical yeah, mythology like, for right. both of them. It's giant leaps in science because essentially they know how to build a wormhole in 80 or so years, which is like the time. Because she also, she's like, by my like quick calculations while I was in the theater, I was like, she's probably like 120 by then. Sounds like it, yeah. It was something like that. And she had like been like incubating is the only word that I can think of right now. But you know, when, when they like go under in the, right. the, the deep Cryogenic, sleep chamber, yeah. right. The yeah. deep um, sleep, like the big nap or whatever they right. call would, it. Like would, she did that a couple times. Would, apparently. would Murph's generation have had to build the wormhole or could it have been built like thousands of years later by a future civil, like I, I'm I th- not I think, familiar I th- on the mechanic. I, I think it could be thousands of years later. If you, if you can harness time, then you could probably just build the wormhole right, later. You as okay, long as you know you satisfying. need to do it. Right. I okay. figured this was like a myth and then they developed the wormhole like thousands of years later and then they're right, like, oh, they now we've got to so that he would go bridge back that gap so right. just before his daughter dies. But I guess it almost like it almost would be like the plan B civilization, I guess, because they know what happens and they're also at the black hole planet. Right. Like the people in the space station, whatever, they don't care. They found a way out. The Plan B people, the black hole people, they only exist if everything happens and continues to happen. People come to the black hole. Right. Okay, I guess I can, like, reconcile that now. It's a little bit better. This is weird. I'm actually feeling a little better about the film, arguing about this stuff out loud with y'all. Yeah. Um, kind of mad I still about don't that. like it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't either, but I feel it's just, better it's about it. It's too thick. It just mm-hmm. was like, every time they said the word love, I was like... And you can you can be sentimental and you can talk about love in a way that is believable to me and that I like I'm going to be right there with you. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, I don't know why, because the two movies are totally different. I kept thinking about Million Dollar Baby. Okay. And the reason I kept thinking about it is because I was like, if it had been Clint Eastwood and what is the name of the actress in Million Dollar Baby? Hilary Swank. Right. Hilary Swank. Like, I would have believed Interstellar. Like, I feel and it's not that Anne Hathaway and Matthew McConaughey are, are bad actors. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that the way that they deliver the lines and the dialogue and when they talk about, when they're sentimental, there's so much more going on in their facial expressions and there's so much more going on in the dialogue that is that goes unsaid mm-hmm. and that you just, like, understand. And apparently Christopher Nolan, like, Nolan doesn't know how to do that. I don't know if he does or he just doesn't <laughs> want to, but it's just... I want less so that I can get more out of it. Yeah. I right. mean, this is, I mean, that's sort of how I approach, maybe why I liked it better, Nolan films in general, ever since sort of going crazy after The Dark Knight, trying to figure out what it's supposed to mean. Like, there were so many mm-hmm. themes and ideas being thrown out, and then you try see, to I like the Dark make them. I liked it too, but then, like, you're like, oh, this wants to say something about, like, 
good and evil, justice and order, uh, the war on terror, and then you try to sort of get a message out of it, and you never quite, it never adds up. Ever since then, I've always just taken these like very portentous lines to be like thematic signs, like be like, think about big things while you're watching this movie, but not really paying too much attention to them. Um, I've always, yeah, found it a little annoying and wish that it was going sort of full 2001 with long periods of silence and yeah. and, and uh, understated dialogue, but uh, I guess it also comes like it's also the idea of like authorial intent versus like what audience expectation is. In Nolan's movies, like Memento, is a simple movie with mm-hmm. one twist, one tiny twist. They just mm-hmm. reordered the stuff. Yeah, if it's played in order, if you ever watched like the in order version, it's a boring movie. <laughs> he forgot that it wasn't this guy that killed someone. So blah blah blah. Sorry if I spoiled that in Memento for anybody. Please go see it. Um, yeah, <laughs> really though. Uh, but like, it's a simple movie with one twist, and the things have gotten more and more complicated. But I think honestly, Nolan doesn't still makes blockbuster movies. He makes popcorn movies. I don't think he's trying to be deeper. Man, I don't think he's trying to be Kubrick. I think he's just trying to do his thing, and right. it's not as intellectual. It just hints at it. And it's fun. It's mainstream intellectual. Right. right. That's the, that was that was sort of how I reasoned my way around to in, enjoying the movies uh, more than a lot of people. I think is that. I just think the characters are trying to be intellectual and <laughs> maybe the movie isn't so that they're, right. they're, yeah. they're trying to like make sense of these like big ideas and saying like kind of silly things about love. Um, yeah. But minus the- those things, like it, it is a, there were moments where I was really impressed and they're very small moments, but mm-hmm. you know, just after they launched the rocket and then the music stops and everything goes silent and you just get that sense of like, you know, you're not even in it. They're inside the cockpit and you get, just get that sense of the vastness of space and how quiet it is. And to me, that moment was really powerful. And I don't know if it was meant to be that way, but it really struck me as like, oh, God, I don't want to be in that situation at all. No, the, the most powerful yeah. part is like the quiet parts where they're in space and not mm-hmm. with like the pounding score and the, the, the poem again and again. Right. Um, God, do not go gently into that great night. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, rage, rage. Rage. Um, <laughs> yeah, so there... You know, there are moments that are very powerful and that do um, strike me as, as just like worth seeing. But I don't know if it's I don't think it's worth paying for the, you know, however much the ticket is wherever you're living. And I don't think that it's. I don't know, it's it's a really long movie and there are moments where I would have cut it. Yeah, I think Christopher Nolan has said like this was as short as the movie was going to be like he couldn't see a place uh-huh. to cut it. I frankly disagree in very many parts, but that's fine. Uh, I know we're running a little bit late. There's one thing I wanted to bring up and ask you guys about, um, which just kind of bothered me, but maybe for dumb reasons. NASA propaganda, the idea of faking the moon line. Oh, I thought that was funny. Well, and it's funny, but like, does it make any sense at all? And also, at the same time, what does this caretaker generation mean where like engineering is a luxury Mm -hmm. because all your farming equipment is robotics? Like, wouldn't you want someone to be an engineer? I'm, that, that's the part that yeah, confused you need me. Somebody right. the, the, to be able the, to fix the things. The idea and make that better farming machines. would become more labor intensive in the mm-hmm. future is a little silly. But and like, uh, they have all the money to build rockets, but they can't. Like, I just think that if they really wanted to, like, they want to be secret about the NASA program. But mm-hmm. I just, I just don't see the benefit of it. Like, what's wrong with giving people hope? Exactly. And like, this is like, that's always been something that's like. People talk about, like, give hope, even if it doesn't but, exist. But that's the debate that happens around human space flight now. Like, is there something important uh, philosophically or ideologically about human space flight versus, you know, spending money on Earth problems or 
whatever. Right. I guess there are two ways to look at it. You can either look at it as being even more frivolous in a world where you can barely feed people or it being even more important because, like, hello, we need to find a new world. Right. Mm -hmm. Or um, we just need the idea that there is something better and something out there than, like, our just dying planet. Like, right. give us something to look right. forward to. But that's a debate that happens now, and I, I could see that losing right. even more in the, in the near future. Um, there is one thing that I that I really want to, like, get to, for yes. me, about the, the, like, science of it, I, how, why is it that in a world like Earth, where you need a rocket to launch into space, they can be in 130% Earth gravity in the, like, first planet that they're at, and they can just, like, use their tiny little spaceship oh, yeah. to launch into space. Oh, yeah. Right. I'm like, what? <laughs> they have the fuel for that? Like, do you know how much fuel <laughs> it takes to launch into space? And then, like, it just nothing about the, like... Yeah, there's a huge wave. Let's just go into space. We're going to be fine. Right. Like right. that doesn't make any sense to me. Um, I have no explanation for that one at all. I, I was like, so you go. don't need a rocket? Okay, yeah. sure. Yeah, that's fine. I also just kind of let go of the fact that it's like, well, we trust the scientist who's living on a frozen planet with 67 <laughs> hour days. That was one of my favorite. Just yeah. like I, I mean, his data checks out, but I kind of look at that planet like something feels a little off. Right. So. Even if the air is breathable, how are you going to grow crops there? Like, right. why does it even strike them as habitable for like a second? Um, I have no idea. Like, it's cold. The ground is frozen. There's right. a reason why we don't grow crops where it's really cold. Like, right. north of Canada, and, that's just not happening. Yeah, and like, and Matt Damon wakes up, wakes up and goes, "Well, you know, it's it's warmer below the ice." And it's like, what the fuck? Right. Yeah. No, I really liked cracked up Matt. <laughs> that was one of my favorite parts. I was like, huh? And then also the like um the 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 time it's really interesting to see the like I think we're fascinated by going to space and having time accelerate. Like right. not not accelerate but like slow down and then you become you come back and you know people on earth are are older. I think we're really fascinated by that idea. I think kids are and you know you have math problems that are right. given about that all the time. And that was the most compelling part of the movie too. That was mm -hmm. such right. an interesting even if that alone was part like the movie for an hour and a half and that kind of was the hour and a half mark. That was awesome. Right. And that's really cool, but the minute that they go down on the first planet and then they come back and it's 23 years later. Mm -hmm. Um and this other scientist is on the spaceship and has been there alone for 23 yeah. years and apparently didn't want to go down for the big nap because he felt like, why would I sleep my Just life away? Case. Yeah. So, but he's still coherent. He can still talk to them. He's Very been normal. isolated for 23 years and yet he can go on a space mission. There's no problem. Like, Can, can, I, can I be honest? The like, psychological effects yes. of being isolated for 23 years. Oh my God. Not only that, but like, when they came back and he was saying it in like in a kind of pseudo creepy way, right. I thought he was playing a joke. Like I was like, okay, so he's saying it just to fuck with them because I I kept track of the time. Like we only saw five minutes, so it's not twenty three years. It's like I don't know, maybe they're there for like eight. Okay, fine, I get that. That makes sense based on the time right. they gave us. Twenty three fucking years, and then he just says it in such a way that's like, yeah, I'm fucking with you. It's a practical joke. We're yeah, gonna break it was not believable when they when he delivered the line, no. and then. Like, also, I was like, okay, so either it's a joke or he's gone completely crazy and that's why he's delivering the line in a way that's so weird. And yes. then that would make sense. Yeah. And the robot's yeah, there, too, going, whatever. Totally crazy. But, right. um, 
Yeah, I wish they'd done more with the supporting cast. I love I the mean, robot, by the way. Oh my god, yeah. yes. Yeah, the robot. Both of them are so good. I thought that was very well done. They're actually like the, the most like expressive characters <laughs> in the movie. That's true. And I was like, Matthew McConaughey is really good at crying. I will, mm-hmm. I will give him that. He's very expressive when he's crying. Very good at crying. Um, but I just like the robots a lot. I will say, and this maybe because we get, oh, we're at a 30 minute mark. Um, something, because we're talking about like scientists acting really weird. And I think that's a problem in a lot of movies. But like in Nolan, up until this point, he's never really had a scientist for a character. Like it's Inception, most scientific movie before this. They're gangsters, they're thugs, they're mm-hmm. agents. Like most of them, like they do the thing they, they're supposed to do very well right. fight, punch, emote. This <laughs> is supposed to be very smart scientists who mm-hmm. don't act like their job in the face of danger. And that's like, it's the, the Prometheus problem. You've trained your whole life to find aliens. You find aliens, you run away scared. Yeah. Like what the fuck? I mean, what'd you expect? Right. Exactly. I mean, that's to be, I don't expect them. I don't expect scientists to be superheroes. Sometimes they are. Right. Um, you see that every day. You see that with like Ebola or whatever, but, um, yeah, I'm not like, but, but I don't expect them to be superheroes. But then they fo- like, we should follow love. And it turns out you should have followed love because that would have been, that would have saved us a Matt Damon moment. Right. Oh, God. I didn't know he was in this movie. I don't no, know. That was... No, I think, great surprise. I actually don't, that was I awesome. think it was in the credits or the promotional it's material. It's still on IMDb. Like, someone yeah. is, like, that, that's like user generally. You can go and add him if you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No one is He's really doing creepy it. in the movie. He is. Like, so creepy. That's very, I mean, that's very well done. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's very, a bunch of obviously, like, artificial threat you know matthew mcconaughey is not going to die at this point in the film right but it's still done the, to christopher nolan's credit i still felt stressed by that moment yeah. i kind of was C- hoping he would like, die i was like this would be the most realistic thing to happen right now oh my like, god what a twist how long does it take for the air to creep out of your like that was a long struggle yeah. like you'd think he would have asphyxiated by then um or at least like not been 100% okay like 10 minutes into the oxygen. Right, like really sick, maybe vomiting, then maybe choking on his vomit. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I just expected him to die. Maybe and he, he shit didn't. himself. I mean, we don't want <laughs> right. that, <laughs> That's not what the fifth dimensional beings, when they're telling me the mythology of Interstellar, want to go, yeah, and then our hero shit his pants. I just, like, kind of, I was kind of wishing that that was what was going to happen. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I wanted him to die. <laughs> Oh, and then man. I wanted, like, Hathaway to be, like, the, the star of the film. Like, that would have been interesting. I mean, yeah. Matt Damon was surprised. Why not in Hathaway finish the movie? Like, give her the next hour. Right. D- pull a gravity. Yes. She had right? the haircut. <laughs> but seriously, though. <laughs> yeah, I do. I feel really bad about the lines Hathaway was given and as, like, the carrier of the love is a mm-hmm. banner. Uh, like, love transfor- transcends space and time banner. Right. I think like, was really... I could put up with most of the sort of portentous philosophizing but that one just felt really out of place what do you think of the daughter the older daughter justine justine yeah i thought she did a good job yeah, yeah. i think she was like, pretty good i think that again dark, like she didn't role. have a great role no um but... she wasn't believable as when she was interacting with the old with hathaway's father and she was just like humoring him and being very kind of like doting i was like i understand that he's now her father figure i get that but she just sounded like a child, like she was very childlike, and I was I was upset by that. Like you're a full grown woman now, please right. like stop. But it also seemed like she held that grudge for seven years. Like she would not send a single video file. She was mad every moment for seven years or however long. It'd be twenty three years, wouldn't yeah, it? 20, oh, 23 years eventually, yeah. and then she finally sent a video. Yeah. Like 
how angry can you be at someone and then also devote your life to them? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's interesting. Oh, I, yeah. I, I, I'm, like I'm, she, I'm willing to let that one go. I mean, I, I understand I, I, that she would be that angry and still devote her life to it. Yeah. I could, I could, like, but, I get that. But never have a moment like I should send a video just in case. Up until that point, no, she's, she's no. Uh, I I think okay. that it's it's a really Dead like she had no um. She had no like separation. She had no like you would be angry. She that's had true. no real termination. Uh, with her relationship with her father because he just like tried once to say goodbye and that was it. Right. Like that is an awful method of termination of a relationship. Like you, d- you don't do and that. You're traumatized. Plus she thinks that. that he is going to save himself and found a human race and leaving her to die on right. earth. And right. And he's her only parent. Like it's, it's deep, deep trauma. That's true. Okay. Yeah. Or I'm also saying they just didn't want to cast a teenage Murph. That's too many actresses. Right. I mean, also that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, we're we're at the, like thirty eight minute mark actually at this point. Um, is there anything else we gonna like bring up before we get too deep into this? Again, I'm looking at, like Ariel's got like two printed out pages of notes and she's <laughs> just checking really off big. every question. <laughs> I think I did everything. Yeah, I think I okay. talked. I talked about everything. Uh, Josh, your entire notebook issues. of oh no, this is <laughs> many other things on here. <laughs> <laughs> it's my grocery list, but it looks impressive. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think I have anything else. Uh, I guess let's start wrapping up. Final thoughts. I mean, honest to God, I'm feeling a little better about the film now. I'm talking to you all about it. Mm. I'm still not mad. I'm still not happy with it. But that's the that's basically how I feel about all Nolan films. I love watching them. And then I start thinking about them a little too much, try and pretend they're not popcorn movies, right. and I get angry. I think I feel better about The Black Hole, but that's the only thing that I feel better about. Um, I'm still kind of, I don't, I wouldn't recommend it to any of my friends. Right. Josh, thank you for making us both feel better about the black hole. <laughs> right. Thank you I'm so much. I uh, you've been a hole. great Nolan therapist. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, really, though. Yeah, I don't know. I still uh, like it with significant uh, caveats, I guess. Right. Worth seeing if you're into space. I want to see some cool uh Yeah, cool if you're really scenes. into space yes. um, and you're studying physics and you're really into that too, then go and you might get really upset. But, I mean, it's worth seeing something represented visually that you rarely see represented visually. Yeah, and this is one of the most gorgeous films. And I will say like, the visuals are just striking. And, like, oh, yeah, The way absolutely. the black hole, even the wormhole looks, just amazing. Yeah, I mean, if that's what you're into, then, then, then it's totally worth it. Yep. Yeah, honestly, I feel like sitting in the fifth row of an IMAX may have like melted my critical judgment <laughs> to a degree. <laughs> um, but worth seeing. There is some some cheesy dialogue and a lot of wobbly plot in the last third. But yeah. So please go see it. Please do not think about it as hard as we did. Uh, <laughs> thanks all for listening. I'm Ross Miller. This is Ariel. Uh, you say your own name. Why am I doing this? <laughs> this is Ariel Jim Ross. This is Josh Jezza. And thanks for listening. <laughs>